these things on. Thank you, Karen, Jude, uh, all the rest of the musicians. It's good to see some of you back. Some of you, a few, I haven't seen for a while. Anyway, uh, turn with me to John, the eighth chapter. John 8, in the Pew Bible, it's uh, page 1073. John 8. And we'll start out with verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Two years ago, I preached on this text for the 4th of July. I got to sign the same text today, but I'm not going to preach the same sermon, although it was a good one. Uh, on that one, it was all, you know, taking a look at the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. Men. Tough luck if you weren't a man. All white men were created equal. All white men that had a certain amount of money were created equal. And then I went to the United States Constitution and the two religious clauses and show how they conflict and were set up for disaster as we can see the jockeying in the Supreme Court over the last few years. We don't have religious freedom, we have religious tolerance. There's a big difference. Anyway, the conclusion of my sermon was that true freedom is found only in Christ. And even there, we're saved but not saved completely. As Paul says in Romans 8, we still await the redemption of our bodies. Well, I knew exactly what I was going to preach. The ultimate freedom. About that redemption of our bodies. But two weeks ago, I had an experience that shifted me. So now I've got two sermons, and up until a few minutes ago, I wasn't sure which one I would preach. But it's all about liberty, and it's all about liberty in Jesus. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I'll never forget a particular dinner that I was at. Very nice restaurant, very nice. 
And the people across from me looked normal. Now, by the way, these were all Evans. Yeah, they all looked normal, okay, for this occasion. And then I looked at his plate. The only thing on his plate was one baked potato. Nothing else. Nothing. You know how attractive that looks? With nothing on it? Just a spud. And his wife had the same glamorous meal on her plate. That was what they were going to eat. Now, I have been in situations where potato on my plate was the only thing I had. I was in a famine in Africa. And I always ate what my students ate. In this particular case, it was one potato. At least been rubbed with oil and salt. That was a great improvement over my friends. Sometimes people have a potato on their plate because that's all there is. Sometimes people have a plate, potato on their plate in the midst of plenty. I mean, that couple could have looked at my plate and they would have saw a baked potato with butter and sour cream. They would have saw some kind of a meat substitute product fried up nicely with gravy on it. They would have saw salad and vegetables, but the village's vegetables had a little sauce or something on it. And then, of course, there was dessert with whipped cream. The plates were quite a contrast. We were all there eating together. But Tim, who we saw again two weeks ago, Tim and his wife couldn't eat like the rest of us. I mean, sour cream? Come on now, we all know that comes out of a animal. All right? Butter? And the meat? Entree, substitute? Probably had an egg related to it somewhere. And the vegetables had some kind of sauce with oil in it and probably some spices. And then uh, the salad, they they might have had a salad minus the ranch dressing. And the dessert, of course, not all that sugar. Well, the occasion was a Valentine's party. I was teaching in the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary, and once a year, On Valentine's Day, we all had a banquet. Tim was a student, I was a faculty, and I'm not sure why they even attended. 
probably is a witness to how real Christians ate. Now, you got to watch out here because I'm not trying to make a judgment. I'm trying to tell you how I used to think. You think I look normal, huh? You don't know me. <laughs> I've been around the Avenus block more than once. They were probably trying to witness to us, and I have to admit, I was not impressed. Now, I do believe in health reform. Moderation in all things, eating the best food available. And I also believe that God created taste buds. Mm. I'm already thinking of lunch, and I hate to tell you, I'm not hungry, but I'm drooling. Okay? I used to hate to preach past 12 because back in the days when I first started preaching at 12 o'clock, everybody left. Or sometimes you can smell the potluck wafting in. Anyway, God created taste buds, and believe it or not, he created healthy food that tastes good. They match up with our taste buds. God loves us. He, he, he made us so we could enjoy life. But Tim and his wife were not enjoying life. It reminds me of a series of meetings. They, well, they, they were not practicing health reform. Ellen White calls it health deform. You can take a good thing and push it too far. Reminds me of a fellow I met down in Mississippi. He didn't even look happy. Skin was kind of yellowish. He looked weak. And then came the burger sandwiches, which he would not eat. You know, that burger had an egg in it somewhere or something wrong with it, couldn't eat the bread. One banana. These are real people. One banana that he made sure he peeled himself. He was going to be perfect, not eat anything harmful. Tim. Anyway, this guy didn't look happy. Tim and his wife were not happy either. He was just pretending to be happy. That eating a plain baked spud was high dining. But he knew better. What he actually discovered was that in becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, he had not become free. He'd entered a new form of slavery. A restrictive Pharisaism. He had merely become a slave to a whole lot of weird stuff, all in the name of religion. He wanted out of Adventism, the only form of Christianity he'd ever known.
You see, Tim and his wife had a background. They were adult converts that had previously existed in an addictive culture. They were drug addicts of the hard drug type. Tim and his wife lived for their next needle, their next fix. But it was never quite enough. They had been enslaved to narcotics and to that whole world that goes with it. He'd been messed up, enslaved with his life-destroying addictions, and then the good news, here comes an evangelist, sets him free from his death course with narcotics. Oh, man, that was good. And like many such people, he flipped from one extreme to the other. But he had some help, some nice Adventist church members. The devil always got somebody hanging around the church. And they're looking for zealous new converts. This guy and his wife were so red hot for Jesus. They would do anything to make sure that they were in the kingdom. He got mixed up with a group of unbalanced Adventists who counseled him on a non-biblical concept of perfectionism and the teaching that all Adventists must be sinlessly perfect before Jesus could come. And they encouraged him to attend Heartland Institute self-supporting Adventist college, which is not known for being middle conservative. Having completed four years of college, he was now in his seminary training, equivalent of three years for his Master of Divinity, but he'd come to a dead end. He was honest enough to say that Adventism, as he knew it, hadn't worked. It was just another sickness. He was enslaved, just as the Pharisees of the New Testament were enslaved. He wanted out, but he had nowhere to go. The only alternative he'd known was the drug culture. And his wife was scared half to death. That's where he was heading. That's when he showed up at my office door. Tim, like many of my other students, had heard my own story. Some of you have heard it, so I'll make it brief. My substance of choice was alcohol, not hard drugs, but I was hooked just as bad. 
non-Christian. At 19, I became a Seventh-day Adventist through a series of events I won't go into here. And I looked around the church. Well, I, I met the same kind of fanatics. How's that? <laughs> I looked around the church. I, I, I'd love to tell the story of what God has done in my life. Because God reaches down and he saves each of us in a different way. I hate to tell you, but we're all messed up. Now, some of you are just good vegetarian sinners. You don't know you're messed up. That's the worst kind. It's all the veggies that put Jesus on the cross because he didn't keep the Sabbath right. All of us have a story. But my story is like Tim's. He'd heard me tell it. That when I was 19, I was, I was converted to Adventism. My life went from A to Z. I was so zealous, there was nothing I wouldn't do. I looked around at the church, and I said, you people are all messed up. I was working structural steel out of, our high, high out of San Francisco Bay, and I said, I will be the perf first perfectly sinless Christian since Jesus. No problem! I practiced in doing evil for 19 years, and I got really skilled at it. I figured that being good was just heading the opposite direction, except I hadn't countered for the devil. It's not just going in the other direction. I went into the Adventist ministry. Studied hard, did three degrees in Adventist theology. 1969, I looked in the mirror one morning and said, I was a minister, Galveston Island, Texas. I looked in the mirror and said, buddy, you are messed up. I've been trying to escape that thought for quite a while. <laughs> you, are, you, you are just as messed up as you were nine years ago. And I looked around the church and I said, man, alive. Is this all God's got to work with? I'll never forget that day when I took out my wallet, took out my ministerial credentials and sent it to my conference president. I was finished being an Adventist minister. I was finished being an Adventist I was finished being a Christian because I knew that Adventism was as close in the Bible as I could find to biblical Christianity, so I wasn't going to be an Adventist. I was out. And out is the best word. There's only one thing that I could think of about the Adventist church, and I was a pastor. And that is, I want loose. I want out. My favorite text became one of those over in Matthew 23 about the Pharisees going over hill and dale and making more children of hell. Well, that's a real positive attitude. <laughs> I 
Six years I didn't read my Bible. Six years I didn't pray. Six years I wandered in a far country. In the six years I met Jesus. Through the love and care of another person. That person had been my first Bible teacher. I never wanted to see him. But he ended up at my house all afternoon. He never said one thing about my problem, and he knew it. He just exhibited the love of Jesus. And when he left, I told my wife, he has what I need. That day, I met Jesus in Robert Wilson. That day was the turning point of my life. That day, my Adventism got baptized into Christianity. And I've never turned back. That was 1975. You know, I could tell so much of that story my publisher wants me to write an autobiography. I said, it's best if most of my relatives are dead first. <laughs> anyway, Tim came into my office. We talked about my painful past and his painful present. We talked about Jesus. We talked about what the heart of Christianity is. That is Jesus who died for me. That God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if ye have love for one another. Not when you eat baked potatoes with sour cream. By the way, in my own dietary, I went from, I got mixed up with a batch of these Adventist kooks. In fact, I, when I traveled all the time, I had a sermon called, Why I Don't Like Adventists. Stop preaching it, because it sounds a little negative. But I don't like Adventists unless they're Christians. I love Christians, and if they happen to be Adventists, I'm very happy. So Tim and I had been on the same journey, and we were talking about what is the heart of our faith? What does it mean to be free in Jesus? Somewhere in that conversation, the Holy Spirit got loose. And Tim had a conversion experience. He met Jesus. 
He began to see that Jesus is what it's all about. That nobody will ever be saved by what they stopped doing. I'm going to come to this. We're free to start doing a whole lot of things in the love of Christ. Christianity is not a negative. Christianity is a positive. It's God getting in my heart and using me to touch other people. Pure and simple. To help them find liberty in Jesus Christ. John 8. Jesus, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word. Well, that's an important qualification. I could preach another sermon after this one today. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, one who follows. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Talk about Independence Day. True freedom is found in Jesus Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin, so if the Son of Man makes you free, you will be free indeed. Well, Tim decided to stay in Christianity. He decided to remain in Adventism. He decided to remain in ministry. And then the indications began, invitations began to come <laughs> from Tim and his wife. Would you like to come over for dinner? And I'm thinking in the back of my head, uh, well, uh, <laughs> but we took the invitation and guess what? She was a first class cook. Wonderful meal. And then pretty soon on Sunday mornings, he'd say, how do you like to go fishing? I could tell that he was out of his cage. Well, as the years went on, I spoke around different places, different uh, ministerial meetings. I'd see Tim from time to time. But the icing on the cake, and how come I'm preaching this sermon rather than the other one, which I already had worked out. The icing on the cake was uh, 10 days ago, I saw Tim at the called pastoral meetings for all of North America. Most of the division's 3,000 pastors and a great number of their wives, somewhere between 6,000 and 7,000 people. And one of those I saw was Tim. Yeah, we had a great conversation. And uh, our friends were standing around us. And uh, Tim was very open about our journeys. And then I found out that Tim is now a conference president. But a conference president focused in on helping ministers have a better walk with Jesus. And if you know, if you're that kind of an administrator, 
you're going to have pastors whose main goal is to help people find Jesus. That was the icing on the cake. Tim, about as lost an Adventist as I ever met, being redeemed. Oh, what's that song? If I, you know, I wish I could sing. It's the only song, it's the only class they threw me out of that was required from my ministerial program. Song leading. They saw me do it once and they said, get out of this class. But I'd like to sing, redeemed, I'd love to proclaim it. God is good. He can take lost drug addicts and bring them to Jesus. He can take workaholics and bring them to Jesus. He can even take Adventists and lead them to Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that last statement, there are people that would crucify me for saying that. Most of them eat baked potatoes <laughs> with nothing on them. <laughs> I won't go any further down that track. Ay, ay, ay. God loves his people. We've got all different kinds of lostness. Some of us get lost outside the church. Some of us get lost without a church. And some of us manage to get lost inside the church. Last time I concluded my sermon with Matthew 121. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. That's what God wants to do. He wants to save us. This is my next sermon, Labor Day weekend. He wants to save us from the penalty of sin. Hey, man, when I mess up, I'm on my knees. I'm saying, God, please forgive me. And if we are faithful and just, he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's called justification by faith. We, Jesus, on the cross, freed us from the penalty of sin, and now he wants to take us and free us from the power of sin. That's a tough one. Takes a lifetime. And many of us, yeah, all of us maybe, gonna have to have a booster shot. We get new bodies to go with our new minds <laughs> at the resurrection. No, no, no. But I've discovered one thing. Now, those of you who know me know that I have no problems, right? Now, my wife is not. I'm going to tell you something. I have now been a Christian 61 years. And Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is softening my heart. Helping me realize that being a Christian is really caring about other people. And of course, along the way, I've had to drop off a few things, but I've discovered one thing about any kind of addiction. Don't look at the problem, look at Jesus. 
If you look at the problem, you'll never make it. The problem becomes everything. Jesus is everything. And then the last thing Jesus wants to free us from is the presence of sin. That's what I wanted to preach on today. Maybe next 4th of July, huh? (laughs) The presence of sin. When Jesus comes again and frees us from these bodies of death, and we get resurrected bodies. I've never heard a sermon on the resurrected body. It's called a spiritual body. It's called not flesh and blood. Oh, come on now. A body's a body. Anyway, there's an answer. (laughs) Jesus wants to save us in every way. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin. That's liberation. That's freedom. In all men, said Jesus. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free. And I want to conclude, not what we're free from, but what we're free for. We're free for hope. My mother's going to be 101 next week. You know what she's got to look forward to? (laughs) For those of you concerned with weight loss, she's got that one under control. She wears about 60 pounds, but she can still get up and take her shower. But you know what? She knows what's going to happen to her. I know what's going to happen to her. No matter who we are, no matter how good we, our health is, someday it's not going to be so good. I have hope. In fact, that's one reason I'd like to preach funeral sermons for Christians. It should be a time of celebration. The family's happy with it. I'd like to wear a red shirt, not black. We have hope! When the worst happens to me, the next thing I know, Jesus is coming in the clouds of heaven. That's hope. In my earlier days, I could barely make it through the week till Friday and Saturday night when I could blow it loose, only to have to wake up on Monday morning and realize I had another endless round. Christianity, I think, and I'm speaking as a person here, If there's one word that is central to me, it is hope. That God gives us hope in a better life. Not only here, but in the hereafter. The second one is trust. Some of us have been raised in places where trust is non-existent. couldn't walk out my front yard and trust what would happen to me when I was a kid. I've watched the neighbors beat their teenage son until the blood ran on his ears in public. I've seen some terrible things. Trust in Jesus. 
we're free to trust in the God who so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son for me. People who can't trust can find the place not only to hope, but to trust. And the last one is love. Freed up from self-love, I can reach out through the power of God and touch others. And you can too. We can touch out, reach out and touch guys like Tim and his wife. Once we're freed up from self-love and focus on what we can do for other people. That's, that's Christianity. 1 Corinthians 13, the last verse says, of these three, there's a hope, faith, and love. Well, I put a trust in there instead. But the greatest of these is love. At the heart of what it means, be a Christian is loving God and other people and inspiring them with hope and the ability to trust at least one person and God. We are free. Liberty. We're free to hope to trust and to love. That's the heart of what Christianity is all about. It's called Christian liberty, the ultimate climax of all human freedoms which fall short. Shall we have prayer? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you're willing to touch us, reach down, come down, sent Jesus from heaven to show us, Father, that we're loved, that we can trust, that we can hope. Lord, help us to be his agents. In Jesus' name, amen.